Thank you for joining us here on the Radio Bible Chorus. We're continuing our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 12, Paul charged the Thessalonians to lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's a theme of Paul throughout his epistles. He wanted those who believed in Christ to act like God's children. When he wrote to the Ephesians, he said he wanted them to lead a life worthy of the calling to which they had been called. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all lowliness and meekness and patience for bearing one another in love. Well, the life worthy of the calling means that, that a person would not have pride, he would have lowliness. He would not be demanding, he would show meekness. He would have patience, putting up with people because of the love of Christ. But in addition to that, we are living a life worthy of the calling if we do what he writes next, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And what does that mean? It means believing and acting as though there is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is above all and through all and in all. Now, we need to keep the unity of the faith. And if we are not, then we're not living worthy of the calling which we have. We are called to a family unity. Are you a member of his church? Then maintain the unity of that one church. There's only one church. Don't get too occupied with your church and exalting its virtues. Be concerned with the church of Jesus Christ, the church that he is building. That's made up of all believers everywhere. How they are baptized is not important. It's whether they believe in him that's important. What kind of songs they sang is not as important as the truth of the word of God. Is that truth being preached? Now that's what we ought to be promoting. There is a family of believers. Think of it. When a man believes in Jesus Christ, God gives him the spirit of Christ to live in him forever. Now I need to respect that man because of the Spirit who lives in him and because of the Father who is his Father as well as my Father. That's maintaining the unity of the faith. People break the unity of the faith by promoting certain things in their church practices, and that's getting away from this matter that Paul is addressing here, which is maintaining the unity of the faith and walking worthy of that calling. I have been called into his church, not your church. One thing that divides Christians is denominational legalism. 
Some churches have established rules and laws. You can't join their church unless you subscribe to certain practices. Paul never did that. He preached grace. And because he did, this grace was so strange to the world of that day that they accused him of being lawless. And so in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and again in verse 15, he had to defend the grace gospel. The accusation against Paul was, you're preaching this gospel of grace, that you don't have to do anything for God, that God does everything for you. Doesn't that mean you can go out and sin so that God would give more grace to handle that sin? And Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And in verse 15, he wrote, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? There is one thing about the proper preaching of grace. It leads people to live for God, not to live for themselves or to live for the world. And when a man says he believes in the grace of God and he is living a lawless life, you can be sure of one thing. He doesn't understand the grace of God of the Bible. He has invented his own grace system. Grace does mean liberty. But it doesn't mean liberty to do what you want to do. It means liberty to do what God wants you to do and to be. There are, of course, some people who are so legalistic in their minds that they will attack the grace gospel and falsely say that that means living a loose life. Grace, however, means living a godly life, and grace living honors God. It minimizes me, and it exalts the Savior. It tells the world that I do nothing, but God does everything. Now we come to verse 13, where Paul writes, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Paul here is referring to his visit to Thessalonica after having been persecuted and jailed in Philippi and then run out of town practically. He came to Thessalonica and he preached the gospel. And Paul said, you did not listen to that gospel as though it were words coming from humans, but you heard it as the word of God. And Paul adds, which it really is. Now, think about this. Is the gospel of grace that tells us about God sending his Son into the world to save us really God's message, or is it something that some theologians have concocted in order to establish organizations known as churches? 
Is there really a word from God? Well, Jesus Christ believed that God had spoken. He said in Matthew chapter 4, speaking to those Jewish people, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. What about every word? Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now here, he is telling us that God has spoken, that there is a word that they can live by. And no one needed to ask what he was talking about. They all knew what he was referring to. It was the Holy Scriptures. That was the word of God. That man should not just be occupied with physical sustenance, bread, food, drink. There was also another part of man. It's the spiritual part, the part that relates to God. And for that, he needs the word of God. That means he needs to listen to it continually and to feed on it so that it can shape his spiritual life with God just as physical food shapes his physical body. Now, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2 is one of the greatest arguments for the inspiration of the message of the gospel. The message was not man's message. Paul didn't think this up. These were not Paul's ideas which he preached. Paul came as a prophet of God. He was God's mouthpiece. He was a communicator of a divine message, not a philosopher speaking the wisdom of men. His message was not offered for discussion of its merits. It was above and beyond a man's criticism. It was God's word. Now, what does that mean? Paul taught from the Old Testament, proving that the Messiah had come into the world and that the prophets had told of such a person who would be sent by God. Now, that was God's word. Secondly, he taught a new revelation for the church. And the church, of course, was a new creation. There was no church in the Old Testament, nor was there a church during the lifetime of Jesus. Jesus talked about the church, but only a few times. The first time in Matthew chapter 16, when he said, I will build my church. That was to be something in the future, and the building did not begin until Jesus actually left this earth, ascending from the Mount of Olives into heaven, and from there directing the building of his church. He is the head of it. The head is not on the earth. The church has no earthly head. Its head is in heaven. And he, by the Spirit, directs its affairs and its building program. He sent the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, it came upon the disciples. And then the work of the building of the church began, for Jews believed the gospel. 
and they were baptized by the Spirit into the body. And then later in Acts chapter 8, the building program continued when Samaritans heard the gospel and were baptized into the body. And then later in Acts chapter 10, when Gentiles heard the gospel and they were baptized into the body. The body of Christ is the church. It's made up of all kinds of people. Now, Paul taught the new revelation about this church. It was truth that was new. It was revealed to him, and it had not been revealed before that time to anybody else, because the church was not mentioned in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. God had plans for such a church, but he withheld all that information, and that's what the word mystery means. It means a truth known by God and planned by God, but withheld by God from men until the right time. Well, the right time was the first century. God picked out this man, this brilliant man, a man who knew the law up and down, and he called him to bring the truth about the church to God's people. If you are one of those who only recently have become interested in the Bible, or perhaps you are new to this radio Bible course, you may want to take advantage of our Bible course on cassette tape known as Understanding the New Testament. It's an orientation course. People who've been going to church for many years don't understand many of the things that are explained on this 10-tape course. Right for information today. The Radio Bible Course is an independent Bible teaching ministry sponsored by laypersons in the Baton Rouge area. We invite your letters. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calabota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.